portion of the dam value, I just like saying that, by the way, um, a large portion of the dam value had more to do with the beauty of the lake. Did you, you meant to say, I think that Encore didn't give a damn to them. Exactly. The Encore didn't give a damn. Once more unto the breach, dear friend. Else fill the wall up with our English dead. Good morning, ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls, and welcome back to another exciting episode of the, or second hour, of the person, all wealth coach, as yep. performed by chat GPT. No, not really. We, <laughs> we, we just talk all. that clumsily sometimes. Yeah, I do anyway. I do. Yeah. I'm fully admitting. Um, we are here to talk some more about the economy and about uh, some personal stuff too, personal finance stuff. At, uh, but uh, at, right before the end of last hour, I said we were going to talk a little bit more about when we, why we had the fall in productivity followed by the sharp rise in productivity and that we predicted it. So going into the pandemic, we saw mass layoffs. We saw a lot of um, huge amount of uh, unemployment insurance was offered. Huge amounts of of stimulus, direct st- stimulus to the to the economy, direct as paychecks to people to keep them from stopping their successful business because of an outside factor that had nothing to do with the day to day operation of the business. So, those of you that have listened to us for very long, think. Uh, know that that we think those stimuli that that we gave to the economy during that time period uh, were effective in keeping us out of a depression, keeping the the whole world out of a depression. We had a very very short recession, and no reason to come out of that recession except except for the stimulus, because people didn't get hired back quickly enough for us to have a one month recession. There's just no way. So come forward. That stimulus money is part of what's pushing us forward with that massive layoff we saw a jump in productivity because those that stayed working were essential and were generally the best at their job not always sometimes there's those unfairnesses that happen but generally across the board aggregate we have better the most productive people are the only people working so it looks like per human hour we're producing more good then the economy starts booming we're coming back to work. We're going back out to eat. We're doing things that we've got this pent-up demand to do. Manufacturing has to figure out how to change things. We've got all these new people coming back into the workforce. And they're not, in essence, they're not all going back to the jobs that they left before the pandemic. A lot of them have now changed completely. People that were waiters uh, or waitresses, uh, our delivery drivers, and the number of changes that took place in the service industry, in the hospitality industry, and in manufacturing, it was just phenomenal. We had a massive shift of who's working where. And that comes with a massive drop in productivity. You bring somebody in who's used to waiting tables and you tell them they are now operating the canning machine. Well, somebody has to train them. And the person that's usually selected to do the training 
are the most productive people. That causes productivity to go down. Productivity is measured by how many people are working, how many hours are they working, and how much stuff are they making in those hours. Well, we've taken our most productive people off the line to show the absolute least productive people how to do stuff. That is a loss in productivity in any way you measure it. It's just harder to produce more stuff when your best people aren't producing stuff and your new hires aren't producing stuff either. We said that was going to happen and it did. Well, why did we say? So how did we, what was it about our crystal? It wasn't a crystal ball. This is just what happens when you hire new people. You don't, you can't find the perfect person for the job almost ever. If this is in a very rare situation where you put out an advertisement and you say, I want to hire these specific skills and that person shows up. That If you've ever been in a business, you know, that's not how it works. If it does happen that way one time, you talk about it the rest of your career. So you got to train these people. That means productivity drops and your trainers are also losing productivity because they have to deal with the newbie. Well, eventually the newbie's not a newbie anymore. And that's where we are. When we see a 4% increase in labor productivity in manufacturing, it's because people are understanding what they're doing now. We're seeing hours worked down by 2% and yet the real output is up by 2%. So you're working less and making more. That's awesome. And overall, our productivity is higher than it was pre-pandemic. We're getting better at it. And some of that is automation. We're beginning to see the automotive boom that has been invested so much in over the last several years to add to our productivity. It's happening. So all of this stuff is coming together and those, those, all of that stuff is fantastic news when it comes to inflation. It's fantastic news. I mean, we're just saying this, productivity's up 3.7%, inflation's up 3%, and hourly compensation's up 5.5%. That extra productivity above inflation is getting paid for. People are getting paid more money because they're producing more things. That's anti-inflation. When you have too few things and you have too much money, you get inflation. So you have more things being produced for less money. That's anti-inflation, and that's all fantastic, and it's good news for the economy, uh, and it's making us look like we knew more than we did a year ago when we were saying we didn't see a recession coming. And despite all that, stock market went down. Yeah, yeah, of course, which is classic this is and the reason (laughs) classic i'm going to say the probable reason that the stock market declined is because treasury interest rates went up not short-term rates longer-term rates and again it was it's the it was the downgrade by fitch because of the ongoing threats to not pay our debts um that's that's going to make things expensive and awkward are you allowed to say fitch on the radio i certainly hope so um that's the name of the company yeah and they downgraded three three major bond rating companies, and yeah. so we no longer have the AAA rating at the top of the world. The fact is, S and P lowered us back the last time we threatened to to not raise the debt ceiling and default on our bonds. Now Fitch is doing it. It basically they're saying, "Hey, you guys keep threatening. One of these times you're going to do it." Yeah, um, that would be, and, and still, that is the biggest nightmare on our plate economically. We and we only got one year. Yeah, because a year from now the agreement expires, and if if a year from now that when the agreement or a year from this spring the, the agreement expires, and if it expires, and if the 
well, it's, it's I'm I try to be bipartisan on this, but and it's an election if, year, which if means the Republicans in the if the right the more right wing Republicans in the House again threaten to shut to not to have the the Treasury not pay our bills, it may have a significantly negative effect on the economy. And we're uh, we're picking on them. Democrats have done similar things in the past. This is not an anti-Republican push. We're looking at this as, as a, it is an anti-stupid push. You guys are, you, you, you got to pay the bills. Yeah, I mean, that not paying the bills, it's, it's definitely a bad, 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 I'll say a lot of bads, lots more bads, bad, bad, bad thing if the United States government doesn't pay its bonds. Uh, and it, everybody says, oh, they'll pay their bonds, they'll pay their bonds. But we've now had two last-minute deals in the last 10 years or so that barely prevented us from defaulting on our debt. That's just not a good thing. It's really not a good thing. Uh, I may believe a great deal about, you know, fiscal responsibility, making sure that we're paying our way. Um, all, I mean, I, I believe that our budget should be carefully managed. I believe we need to keep our debt under control. All of this stuff, that's reasonable. Saying, I want to keep our debts under control, so I'm just not going to pay them, that's that's really not logical in any way, shape, or form. It's bad thinking. Uh, and if you do that and you're owing child support and you say, Our, my debts, you know, I know I was supposed to pay that. I agreed to it. The, the law said I would. I just didn't. That's what you go to jail for. <laughs> uh, if we don't pay our debts to the United States government in the form of taxes, we go to prison. If they don't pay theirs, it's against the Constitution. I think we should just impeach the whole Congress. But the problem is that the people that get to impeach Congress is con Congress. Uh, I don't think they're going to do it. No. Uh, yeah, I, I think that's a problem. Uh, and I know I'm making enemies by saying the Republicans aren't all the bad guys. And I know I'm making enemies by pointing out that the Republicans are making bad decisions. <sighs> that's that's. Unfortunately, when you look at economics, it isn't politically based. If we're looking at the well-being of the long-term economic output of our country, we got to pay our bills. We can't overstimulate the economy, and we certainly can't understimulate the economy. If we if we do that, we do what the European Union did during the global financial crisis and maintained a much longer recession than we did, even though. We had essentially the same issues, the same problems. So it's a uh, it puts us in a weird spot to be just listen back to the radio programs when when the entire world was yelling that we're having a recession in the middle of 2023, and we were saying, well, we don't see it. I mean, it could happen, but all the things that everybody's pointing at don't look like recession to us. Um, not paying the bills is a bad idea. There, okay. Um, so Fitch's. U.S. credit rating, it's bad, but when we look at the rest of the economy, it's bad. It's a bad we knew about months ago. <laughs> Fitch is only now saying we're lowering the credit rating. We were already past the crisis when it happened, so it's weird that the market responds, oh, Fitch doesn't think it's a good idea to not pay the debts. Well, they knew that. This is what they are. They're a bond rating agency. They don't think it's a good idea if people don't pay debts. <laughs> but the market reacted badly as if it was surprised that Fitch would say, if you don't pay your debts, 
or you threaten to not pay your debts, you're not quite as uh, as likely to get a loan from us. Uh, it's just common sense, but hey, the market responded. Okay, what else do you have to talk about? Well, man, there's so many things. Um, I've got some warehouse good stuff warehouse too. Rents, when you ready, go ahead. Warehouse rents are rising, which is the reverse of what we see elsewhere. Uh, people have many people. Quite a few people have asked me about real estate. And is real estate going to fall apart? And should should we be invested in any way in real estate? Meaning mutual funds that invest in real estate stocks, stocks associated with real estate companies. There's basically a division there. And what, the one that's making the news is the, the losing side. And the losing side is that major office buildings, huge buildings full of offices in big cities are coming on the market substantially below the price they last sold at. In other words, uh, for example, because, it, because of his name, it makes headlines. Trump Towers is down significantly uh they're trying to sell it and and they can't find anybody to pay even at 70 percent of the price that they paid for it yeah why well it, it may first off it's getting really really hard to get in and out of cities because there's only so much highway and there's a lot of cars people some people are moving into the city still but there's a critical shortage of housing in cities uh condominiums and apartments and so on and they're very expensive so people are getting, leaving the city and working remotely. There's a lot of that going on. All of it nets out to the fact that there are huge office buildings in every city in the United States that companies own and then lease to companies, lease to other companies to use that are partially and in some cases mostly empty. And when the when the lease comes up for renewal, the company that previously leased it just isn't leasing it anymore. If, if they can get somebody to lease it, they lease it at a much lower cost, a low, much lower rent than they had before. And the issue is, of course, if you can convert that office building into apartments and condominiums, the value is there, but it's not, you're, you're going to see a lot of investment have to go into it, which means that the price drops. So there's an area in real estate that really is in trouble right now. And it makes a lot of news. But there's a lot of other areas in real estate that are not in trouble. And this is where good management comes in. Medical clinics, uh, medical anything just about, because we have an increasing demand as the baby boomers age for more and more medical services. So renting out, building a building that's designed for medical use. And believe me, you have to design it, design it because it needs to have oxygen lines running through it and a lot of other things that other buildings don't have. They're doing really well. And I just said that apartments and and and, and uh, condos inside economically healthy cities are doing exceptionally well so you got two sides people are asking me about if, if they should just bail completely out of if we should basically bail completely out of real estate no you just need to be selective and one of the things we do is look at the history of uh, a portfolio and the management of the portfolio uh, for instance in a mutual fund and we look for the managers that have managed to stay abreast of what's going on in real estate and have not gotten themselves locked in problem with real estate trusts and a lot of people use real estate and REIT, real estate investment trust for the real estate investment, is a real estate investment trust generally buys a particular kind of real estate and hangs on to it forever, which sounds really cool until you realize that in a changing economy, whatever you bought into that looks like it's going to go on forever almost certainly won't. And therein is a problem. So it takes, it's not a simple answer when people, I've been asked that question quite a few times, so I thought I'd bring it up. It's not a simple answer, uh, and it's one you have to be aware of and you have to be cognizant of what you're doing. 
And I've got a little more, but I've been talking for a while. You need to say something? Yeah, I wanted to talk a little bit about um, one of the logistical issues that infrastructure acts were intended to work on. So the Trump administration and the Biden administration both worked hard to pass an infrastructure bill to build infrastructure. Uh, the Trump administration wasn't able to push it through a uh, uh, Democrat Congress. And the Biden administration almost wasn't able to push it through either. It was called the Inflation Reduction Act. I mean, it's just a label that has absolutely nothing to do with what's actually in the law, Uh, but it's called the Inflation Reduction Act. Well, it has all these chunks of money to be invested in infrastructure. Some of that is going to green energy, and we're seeing a big boost in green energy production in the United States. Solar uh, wind manufacturers are doing well because there's grants and there's loans available for them to create these better technologies. Okay, there's a lot of pushback. Why is it being spent on green stuff? There's other stuff in there for roads and bridges and dams. Unfortunately, there's a whole bunch of dams and water lines that are not covered on this. Water lines, pipes, things like that. So I've got a couple of quick examples, one of which is very near to us. The Guadalupe River between 2016 and 2019 had four dam failures. This isn't something people hear about or talk about they didn't cause a loss of life there was nobody downstream that got flooded out or not many so it wasn't a big national event these dams were all built in the 1920s through the 1940s they're about a hundred years old well what are they well some of them were hydroelectric dams just very little ones that hold little bits of lake well when they failed they're privately owned they're sort of privately owned in that they're kind of owned in the commons like a contract between a group of people on a driveway that says when we repair this we all have to pitch money in but you have to vote on it to do it and the people didn't want to do it so these dams failed so we have this new concept of a special taxing authority being created based on it's basically a new government that's only around taxing to to either rebuild a dam or or something along those lines. The same's true for a lot of bridges, a lot of roads. When big developments were made in the 1960s, if the development was around a golf course, many of the roads in the development were owned by the golf club, by the people that owned the golf course. They owned the roads through all of the residential areas. Who pays for their upkeep? These are things that are really major issues in how we maintain, not expand, but just maintain the infrastructure that we have. And the, the last part of this is just, just south of Fort Worth near Venus, Texas. For the second time in the last five years, a water leak at a prison, a major water leak, a, a, a pipe failed underground at a prison and it drained the town of Venus's water tank because it happened over a weekend. So how did these how did these pipes fail? Well, they're really old. They're made of iron. And if you put water in iron for an extended period of time, there's a chemical reaction that I know it's a rare one. Most people aren't familiar with rust, but 
we've got pipes made out of cast iron. We still have places where we have pipes made out of lead. The Wall Street Journal just had a big article, a series of articles over the last several weeks about the lead in the old telephone lines that aren't even being used anymore because we have newer telephone lines that are made of fiber optic, but we've got underground lead wires going underneath creeks all over the country that are still owned by AT&T because Ma Bell did the digging in the 1920s using lead. Well, we got to do some stuff about that. If we don't, this is one of the major issues. We're starting to see lead in a lot of the drinking water. The forever chemicals that we know about now, the ones that come from plastics in the water, well, we now know how to get them out of the water. But the absolute vast majority of drinking water sites, sites that filter water for tap water, don't even test for it. Well, we don't know the danger there, but this is the United States. This is the place where we say don't drink the water when you're in Mexico. Don't drink the water when you're in the Caribbean countries. Don't drink the water when you're in South America. Don't drink the water in Texas. That's not cool. Uh, don't drink the water in California, in Michigan. Not We can do this. We, we actually have the ability to do it, but it takes money. We have to allocate it from other places. And this is difficult because it's money on stuff that just exists. And this is one of the things, the Wall Street Journal article about one of the dam failures on the Guadalupe River uh, was, hey, you know, it was originally a hydroelectric dam. It was created by an electric company. The electric company failed a long time ago. There's still some electricity being produced, but it's going directly to Encore. Um, and now Encore has for years said, well, we can't replace the dam. We don't. It doesn't produce enough electricity to pay to make a dam. It's, that's expensive. Um, so now the locals are making the dam and a large portion of the dam value I just like saying that, by the way. Um, a large portion of the damn value had more to do with the beauty of the lake. Did you? You meant to say, I think that Encore didn't give a damn to them. Exactly, the Encore didn't give a damn. Said that to their them. electricity production wasn't enough to give a damn. Yes. And so now they're they have to tax themselves to give a damn. Uh, and so they are. They're taxing themselves into giving a damn for their little lake. But that is what a lot of the infrastructure reinvestment is coming down to, very local, very local infrastructure spending. And that's the sort of thing that I would hope that the federal government would allow some money to make loans for so that we have ones that don't fail for hopefully more than 100 years this time. Uh, and that's the thing is that how long are we building for and are we maintaining what we have? There's a lot of bridges that still need to be repaired that are near failing across the country. Those are all important pieces when we're looking at the growth of the GDP, when we're looking at what are we doing to maintain it. And that's a governmental side of things, but it's the sort of, there's two areas that the government can spend money on and increase their tax revenue, infrastructure spending and education, if they do it right. And unfortunately, what we have is massive bureaucracies around both of those institutions that limit how we spend the money. 
and aim it in ways that are less productive. Um, when we have money from the federal government to improve infrastructure, quite often it gets used on things like a, some congressional representative's pet project in a district because they get votes by saying, look, I, I fixed a pothole that people are annoyed about rather than using that same money to pick, fix the dam that's upstream that's not quite broken yet. <laughs> but it might have more damage than a pothole at some point in the future. So how we allocate the money isn't being well thought out. There's no engineers involved in this. It is a very political thing. And having some awareness in your own uh, known people, you uh, who are listening to us about this, you having awareness will affect your conversations with your representatives. And this doesn't, I don't care if they're Democrats. I don't care if they're Republicans. These are common problems. We can look at this and say, uh, we need to give a damn. <laughs> uh, yeah. So I have beat that damn subject to death and now on to you. You have, sir. you have. And we're about out of time. This is the personal wealth coach with Jeff and Jake. McClure. Uh, this is the personal wealth coach, and we do make uh, other statements than really bad puns about songs. Uh, we are uh, a a finance program, as you would probably guess from the personal wealth coach being our title. The personal wealth coach is not just the title of the program. It's also the name of an SEC-registered investment advisory firm. All right. Well, does that mean that the SEC likes us? What would you say to that, sir? I would say that the SEC is professionally dislikes almost everyone. Right. That is in no implication of the SEC's approval just because we're registered with them. Why is the radio program and the firm named the same thing? Because we have to give this disclosure no matter what it is, and it's less disclosurable. It takes less time to do if it's just the same name. So we've been doing this program here uh, on this in, on this station, fourteen hundred AM in Temple, since nineteen ninety six, we've been doing this a long time, and we haven't been paid for it ever. Uh, we also Man. have not ever paid for it, so we've been doing this a long, long time. And the whole idea is education. We do advertise as a firm for on the studio, uh, on the channel for this radio program. We don't actually advertise for our firm. We're advertising for the radio program. So what we're saying is that this is educational and we do occasionally get business from it, but our purpose here is truly education. That being said, it's not advice. Advice would be if I knew who you were, if the other bald guy, Jeff, knew who you were and we were able to have a private conversation with you about things in your best interest versus broadcasting to everyone. So we're going to be talking about education, which is why we do the program to begin with. So those two disclosures are really one. And having said that, do you deem to tell us another disclosure? Yes. The information we present on this educational radio program has been obtained from sources we deem to be reliable, but we make no warranty or guarantee as to the accuracy or completeness of said information. And he really can't get through the week without that. I think right. uh, if you would like to talk to us off the air, we actually give individually, uh, individually crafted and customized advice based on what people are trying to achieve 
That's generally and portfolio for, management and portfolio management. And that's generally for people with higher net worths, but we make exceptions occasionally. Um, and so you can contact us locally voicemail available during the weekend, but actual real live people, no phone tree during the week at two, five, four, nine, four, seven, 11, 11. You can reach that line tool free at one, eight hundred nine, one, four, seven, five, two, six. That's eight hundred nine, fourteen plan. And I think it's important to note that we're an independent fiduciary firm. We don't work for a corporation. We only work for our clients. Right. Exactly. Uh, you can go to our webpage, thepersonalwealthcoach.com or tpwc.com. There's a contact form. You can use emails, Jeff or Jake at tpwc.com. There are uh, recordings of the radio program going back years, newsletters going back decades, uh, and you can find us wherever podcasts are given. Um, thank you very much for listening on a nice Saturday morning. And until next week, this has been The Personal Wealth Coach. <laughs>